Good morning. Uh, okay, well, we'll just say good morning. And uh, you braved the rain. They were all of like four people in first service. It was incredible. And uh, so if, you were, if you're one of those people that came to second service, welcome. Um, we're in this series on forgiveness, and it's not about the forgiveness of God. Uh, that's kind of an easy topic. Like, it just ends up the same every time. Like, God forgives us every time. It's always the same. The result's always the same. Uh, this is a series about the forgiveness between people, about uh, the forgiveness that has to take place in relationships, um, which is probably harder than just kind of talking about uh, the forgiveness of God, because again, that never really changes. But we sometimes struggle with that. We struggle to forgive people, and, we, and obviously there are times when we have not been forgiven uh, by others. And so we, we have taken this month to just talk about it, and the backdrop has been this letter uh, this correspondence between Paul and his friend Philemon, and I told you a little bit of the story before we read it. And what we've done each week is uh, we've highlighted one of the people in the whole story there. So the first week we talked about Paul's part in this. Paul didn't do anything wrong. Paul didn't, uh, you know, wrong anybody. Paul didn't hurt anybody's feelings. Paul was just out there on his own and then got dragged into this situation between two people, Onesimus and Philemon. So Paul assumes this role of like a peacekeeper. And uh, thank you, my brother. Thank you. That's my son, ladies and gentlemen. Water boy. P.S. Uh, tomorrow morning, 20, uh, 18 years of marriage. So, yes, we made it. And uh, this is pretty good. Do you want to know what I got her? <laughs> Actually, I got her Harry Connick tickets for July. So, right on. July's a cool month for us. Harry Connick, and then two weeks later, Tedeschi Trucks Band with the Black Crows. It's just going to be a killer month, right? So, thank you. Um, and we're all going to that one. That's the whole family affair there. So, um, what was I talking about? Something important, right? Forgiveness. Um, so, the first week we talked about how sometimes we play the part of Paul in this whole forgiveness game where it's not really our issue, but we've been dragged into other people's problems, and we have to kind of facilitate peace and, and want forgiveness to take place in those relationships, rather than taking sides and getting into somebody's camp and, you know, diminishing the worth of the other person and becoming against, right? And so what we did was we took the first week and we said, listen, before we can even talk about what it means to uh, seek forgiveness and to give forgiveness in our relationships, it's really important for us to do a heart check and kind of answer the question, in general, do I, do I want to see forgiveness happen in the world? Do I want to see this happen in people's relationships? Enough to where when it doesn't even involve me, that's what I'm pursuing. Like, I want to see people come together. I want to see things get mended. I want to see peace prevail in relationships, right? So we talked about that. Last week, Onesimus, Paul sends Onesimus home uh, to essentially seek forgiveness from Philemon. And so sometimes that's us. Like, we have to go back to the people that we've wronged and say, I'm sorry. Uh, I need you to forgive me, etc. So we talked about what it means to say you're sorry. Uh, if you missed that talk, obviously it's online. I recommend it because it's one of the hardest things for us to do. But today, we're all standing in Philemon's shoes today, where we are standing here having to forgive someone. Either they've come back to us, as it has been in our, our story in this letter, where someone comes to us and seeks forgiveness, or whether they don't come to us, but we've just been harboring this 
experience with them, and we haven't let them go. And, it's, and it may be that you haven't seen the person in 10 years, but it's still there, like you just hate them, right? And uh, when their name comes up, it, it causes all kinds of internal problems for you. And so we're going to talk today about what it means to forgive someone and what that looks like. I want to start with this quote from this book called Unchristian. I read it a few years ago. It's, it's worth your money. It's worth your time. It's this study of, uh, of essentially the church and the opinions and the perceptions that people have that aren't church-going people of us who attend church. And this has to do with obviously being quite judgmental of, uh, of the world. And so David Kinneman writes, outsiders, what do outsiders think of Christianity? Outsiders think of our moralizing. I want you to notice what he says, our moralizing, our condemnations, our attempts to draw boundaries around everything. And then he goes on to paint this picture saying, um, even if these standards are accurate and biblical, they seem to be all we have to offer. And our lives, he says, um, our lives are a poor advertisement for the standards. Essentially, what he's saying is like, we're not really living out the standards that we think the rest of the world should live by. And then he says, we have set the game board to register lifestyle points, and then we're surprised uh, to be trapped by our own mistakes. And then he closes by saying, the truth is, we have, we have invited the hypocrite image. Now, Jesus used the word hypocrite a few times in his teaching. The Greek there is the word hypocritos, which is this term for an actor that played two different roles, same person, two roles, two opposing roles, happy person, sad person, male person, female person, uh, hero, villain. They would play the same role. They would just change the mask backstage. And so hypocrisy is this picture in the ancient world of someone who plays two different parts, someone who's inconsistent with their person, right? And so hypocrisy, when we're setting standards for people and then we judge them by that and we refuse to sort of... uh, express grace and mercy to people, we're becoming that type of person. We're becoming this person that's struggling with hypocrisy because it's just a natural outcome of that sort of thing. Because a hypocrite is just someone who is very unaware of their own inconsistencies. And we all know people like this, right? Like when someone's complaining about someone and the three of you are going, are you really saying that about them? Because that's you. Like, have you ever had that problem with your relationships? Like, someone is just so upset about someone who's always complaining, and you're like, really? Like, that's you. We just don't, we're not aware of our own behavior sometimes. And, uh, and judging by the silence, that's not true, and it's just me. So uh, I'll, I'll take it as it is. But it's, hypocrisy is when we forget about our own failings, and this is important, and yet we hold people accountable to our own view of ourselves, like, we're right and everybody else is wrong, and so you have to raise up uh, to my level. And this is what I want you to understand today. The more that we do that, the more that we kind of live in this world of, I'm right and everybody's wrong, or in this relationship, I'm always right and you're always wrong. <clears throat> the more that we do that, the less, and this is very key, the less we remember how to forgive people. Let me just say that again. The more that we see ourselves as right and everybody else is wrong, especially when someone has done something to us, the more that we take that side, the less we remember how to forgive. And one of the worst things that could happen (coughs) to us individually and as a church as well, and I'll talk about this too, is that we would lose touch with what forgiveness feels like, what it sounds like, and what it looks like in relationships. I mean, can you imagine that somewhere in your journey of life that you would just forget 
what forgiveness is like. Like you would get to this place where you can't remember what that's like anymore. And that is what we want to talk about today. And as a church, you know, again, as individuals and as a church, I mean, to stay in this game called life, we have to learn uh, the art of forgiving people. And today I want to explore that and challenge you uh, in this area of forgiving someone and of setting someone free when they owe you. And the truth is they do owe you. And they, they do owe me something, an apology or something. But learning the biblical model of just setting that person free. There's a prayer around here that means a lot to us. It's the Lord's Prayer. And it's, uh, you may know it, the first part of it is, you know, um, uh, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on what? On earth as it is in heaven. And we shift that around to sometimes say in Atlanta as it is in heaven. But essentially what that prayer of Jesus is saying is that, that God's ways, that God's reign, that God's rule, that his economy can flourish in our world today. Like that's what that prayer is. Like, God, we pray that everything that is good about you happens in our world, that it happens in my neighborhood, that it happens in the place of where I work, that it happens in my relationships. Like when we pray that prayer, if you pray that prayer, that's what you're praying. It's, a, it's an extraordinary uh, request of God that his ways would happen today. And if we're praying that prayer in Atlanta as it is in heaven, if that's guiding us as a church, then we as a church, we, ha- we must master forgiveness. Because the one thing about God that needs, to, that needs to make the most noise is his love and his forgiveness. And if the only noise that the world hears from the church is judgmentalism, if that's a word, uh, you know, that sort of thing, if that's what the world is hearing from us and what they're not seeing and what they're not hearing is forgiveness taking place in our relationships, then we've got some issues that we sort of have to, that we need to really overcome. And so we must, we must master this. And Philemon, you know, Paul writes Philemon and essentially says to him, I need you to practice forgiveness. I need you to set Onesimus free. Not just free from his crime of running away from you, but I need you to free him from his identity as a slave. And I need you to make him into a brother. I mean, this is an incredible request in that day and age. Like, I'm returning your runaway slave to you. You have every right to prosecute him. I mean, you, no one's going no to, you know, uh, fight you on that. But what I want you to do is let it go. And then more than that, I want you to welcome him in now as a, as a part of your family. So not only freed from those things that he had done wrong, but you're giving him a new identity. I mean, it's an incredible prodigal son story if there ever was, if there ever was one. Um, well, there is one. Jesus told one. But a real one. Not a parable, but a real one. All right whatever. Um, the word for forgiveness in the scriptures is the word asphesis. And we, this is a definition of that word, to liberate, to release from bondage. It means the remission of debt, of guilt, of punishment. I mean, just look at that for a moment. I mean, this is what, when Jesus talked about forgiveness between people, when the writers of the scriptures are talking about forgiveness, this is the picture that they're painting for us. That in our relationships, that we just set people free from, you know, whatever debt, whatever guilt, whatever punishment they deserve. And then it goes on to say it's used when the prison door is opened and the prisoner can go free. So this is the picture of what forgiveness is. Now, the, the struggle is, for you and for me, like this whole concept of, wait, I just let them go? 
Don't they owe me something? And it becomes very difficult for us to practice that kind of forgiveness. And the number one reason that it's hard for us to do that in our relationships is is very simple. It's because we've been hurt. Somebody has hurt us. And when someone has hurt us, there's anger there, especially when their name comes up or that situation is resurfaced and there's anger there. And one of the things, or some of the things that happen when we are hurt, and maybe you can identify with one or all of these, but I have, you know, five or six things here that happen to us when someone hurts us. One is that the pain someone has caused us can simply just lead us to living in a state of embarrassment. Like someone called you out or outed you on something or embarrassed you in front of people. Like your failings became public. Whatever that may be, you know, whatever happened in your life, it really has just caused a sense of ongoing embarrassment. Or maybe this is very common where the pain that someone caused us leaves us alone, like we're in isolation, like we're now without people that used to be in our lives because of something. Or maybe uh, the pain that someone has caused us has led us to live this life of fear and just a general distrust of people. Or maybe it's that you're now a confused person about some things. Um, if all the people, if the people in your life that have caused you the most pain were Christians, you may have some confusion about God. You may have some confusion about who Jesus is. Um, if, if, if the pain in your life came from your family, you may be confused about what family is. Like you just refuse to get married because you don't want to go down that path. Like the narrative in your family for generations has been very terrible in that uh, in that aspect of your life. And so family is now confusing. You don't really understand what that looks like. And so you're trying out all these different ways to feel like a family with certain people. <laughs> we got it. Give it up for Charles. With the oxygen. Okay. I was afraid you were just going to fly off. Like, I didn't know what was going to happen there. So uh, where was I? Oh, the confusion. Like sometimes it just causes confusion. And it's real hard to sort of navigate life when you're confused about certain things. Or loyalty. Maybe you're confused over loyalty now because you gave all those years and all that time to your job and then they fired you. Like it just, the sense of loyalty is very difficult. When I left ministry the first time and spent eight months not doing anything but drinking coffee uh, and being bitter, one of the things that I struggled with and when I re-entered ministry, one of the, it took me about a year or more to get over this, but this sort of believing what people say to you. Like I had just gotten to the place in ministry where I just assumed everybody was lying to me. You're lying about where you're at in your life. You're lying about uh, what you think of me. You're lying about, because everybody knows, like great sermon pastor. And you're like, are you serious? That was the worst thing I've ever put out there. You're just lying to me. You're just lying to say something nice. And we're in the South here, so we just sort of lie about things, right? Oh, no, it's a great dress. It's awesome. You know, and then whatever. And so I spent eight months sort of getting over this paranoia that everybody, everybody was just lying, not being truthful, not being real with God or themselves or with people. And it took me a year or more to get over that and sort of move on regardless of whether I'm ever hearing the truth or not. Sometimes the pain can just knock our self-worth down just enough to where we live this life of uncertainty uh, 
of ourselves. Like it's just a real, I mean, you know, you know the stories and maybe you relate to all of those things. And I want to let you know, and of course you probably already know this, but these are not the ways that God wants us to experience life. They're, they're very far outside, in fact, of his created, intended vision for us. In the, in the Genesis story, we see that relationships are formed for support and companionship and reinforcement, not for those things, not for embarrassment or isolation or fear or distrust or confusion. That's not why we have each other. We have each other for companionship and support and reinforcement. But when we're hurt, when things have happened to us from our friends or even our enemies, it's very difficult to imagine that we would ever forgive them because now we're walking around scarred. We have stories that we didn't want to carry and that's just our new normal. And so Onesimus is coming home with this letter from Paul to give to Philemon. And Philemon is just waiting. He is the father in the prodigal son's story. And he's just waiting for whatever is going to happen with Onesimus. And what's interesting about this letter, because it's correspondence, there's no follow-up. Like, we don't know what happened. We don't know what happened to Onesimus. We don't know what happened to Philemon. It just, it just hangs there. It doesn't tell us, which is kind of cool because it's almost like God is saying with his word, like, the ending is up to you and to me. The ending is in your hands. I'm not going to tie this up for you, but you just sort of have to finish the story. That we have to imagine, okay, someone's coming home to us. They're going to be seeking forgiveness. How do I react? How will Philemon react? Will Paul's letter be effective? Will it impact us at all if we knew the story? Like, how do we respond when people have done us wrong and how do we forgive them? Now, a couple things I want you to know, um, and in some form I've given this list before, uh, although it's changed a little bit for today, but when you think about forgiveness, like there's all these ideas of what it is, but um, some of these things really aren't biblical. So I just want to give you some some things that forgiveness is not, just so you can kind of know where we're coming from. Number one is that forgiveness does not mean that you become friends again. I don't know if you ever thought that that's what it meant. Like when you're reading the stories in the Bible about forgiving people, that you think that that means we're going to hang out again and play Xbox. Like you just think forgiveness means we're now friends again. But it doesn't mean that at all. That's really not what forgiveness means. Forgiveness does not mean that what, what has been done to you can just be pushed aside and now we're friends again. You may become friends again, but that's not what forgiveness uh, truly means. It also doesn't mean that you have to trust the other person again. Now, I don't know if that's freeing for you or confusing for you, but forgiveness does not mean that you have to put your full trust in that person's hands again. And perhaps they have a repeated cycle of hurting you and saying things to you that cause all sorts of pain, all kinds of pain in your life. God is not saying that you have to trust them ever again with your heart, with your time, or anything. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness also, mean, it also does not mean that you recover fully from the pain that's been caused. Now that's a hard one, because we often hear like, man, if you just forgive, like, you just feel better. That's not really always true. Sometimes you continue to carry around the pain. But forgiveness is more than just recovery from the pain. It's something different. 
Or maybe uh, you've always thought that like, and this has to do a little bit with trusting the other person, but the boundaries are erased and brought back to square one now. Like this person has hurt you and you think because you forgive them that all those boundaries and walls go down and you're safe again. I want to show you this uh, verse from uh, Proverbs 26, 11. Uh, the writer says, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who reverts to his folly. Is this your life verse, by the way? <laughs> you know, like this should be your life verse. Um, but essentially what the writer of the Proverbs is saying in this one sentence is that some people are toxic and they will do things that are toxic in your relationships and they will continue to do that and what the writer is giving us permission to do is that when this person who is toxic does the things that are toxic in the relationships that he or she is in you don't have to be there when he does that that you don't have to be around when that happens I mean, the writer's just saying something we all understand, that like, there's just some people, like, that's just what they do. And forgiveness doesn't mean that you have to stay close to that person. It does not mean that you have to put yourself in that position all of the time. Reconciliation always includes forgiveness, always. But forgiveness does not have to include reconciliation. They're two different things. I want to show you something that Jesus says about forgiveness, and this is, um, we alluded to this last week, but we're going to unpack this for the next few minutes. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We'll just leave this on the screen for a minute because I want you to look at it and be very afraid. I mean, when I first saw this passage as a kid, this didn't look good. Are you with me on that? I mean, are you just... Let the words of Jesus disrupt you for a moment. As C.S. Lewis said, I'm not sure Jesus said anything more clear than this right here. If you forgive people, God forgives you. If you don't, you will not be forgiven. This doesn't look, this is bad. This is a bad situation. And what I love about these words from Jesus is it comes at the end of his teaching on the Lord's Prayer. This is how you should pray. And then he just throws this bomb in there. Oh, and let me just say a little thing about forgiveness. And again, when I first read those words, they didn't really sound very good to me. They sound terrifying to me. And what does he mean by that? And like, does he really mean like that our forgiveness of others will actually influence whether or not God forgives us. This is a really complicated thing. So now that we're down way in the valley, let's just laugh at me for a moment. Uh, we'll take a breather here. Show you a photo. This is me in high school. I'm up front in the green, and I got the white shorts on and the long hair, and um, I'm pretty awesome. I mean, like, <laughs> this, is, this is cross-country days. Uh, I know you're looking at me going, that's not you. That's not you. But here's the thing, up until about four years ago, this was my life. This is all I've ever known. I ran, I raced, I was training, I was cycling and running and doing all these things. I mean, up until four years ago, this is all I ever did. And then four years ago, I went under a pickup truck on my Vespa and just completely fell out of it. I mean, it was just sort of a long, I mean, I was afraid to walk down the sidewalk for a year. 
And so just to the thought of getting out and running, and too much time had passed where like I had ceased to be a runner, like at that point. Like my whole life, running as a kid, all the way through high school, all the way through you know, the adult life, and then boom, I stop. And then as you can tell, I haven't run since, right? Uh, let me just sort of show you that this was really my life. The next slide shows for, this from the yearbook, by the way, my high school yearbook. This is the scorecard for, in the yearbook that year of our team. See the boys score there? 35 and that's pretty good, isn't it? 35 and 0, are you familiar with how sporting scores work? Like, that's 35 wins, zero losses. And you can see that we won the county meet. We got second in the region and second in the state. I blame the state issue on Westminster School down here in Buckhead. I'm going to tell you why. This is what happens every year. I get on the line every single year. They were always our nemesis. I get on the line every single year, and I will look down the line, and I will see a new guy on the Westminster team that wasn't on the team last year. And I will walk up to that guy, and I would say, Two things, I know you ran for Decatur High School last year, and two, I know you can't afford this school. They bought you, right? Like, they just, they're just they scouting, you know, you private school kids, you know what I'm saying. But, uh, so that's, that, that's why we lost that race. But, just, I mean, that's just to tell you, like, that was my life. Like, me and my friends would get on the starting line of local road races in high school and hear our name being said behind us. Like, people saying, well, I guess we'll just have to settle for whatever because Derek and X, Y, and Z are here today. That was my life. That's all I ever did. And then I stopped. Well, this month, I decided that I was going to run again. Just, we're going to run. And I, when I say we, I mean my whole family. So here's a picture of my family yesterday. Uh, we did a road race yesterday. So this illustration is fresh. Uh, we decided to enter a road race. And uh, so that's my whole fam there. We're, none of us are runners anymore. And, uh, and so we're all lined up there. There's a photo bomb behind me, the face to the you know, hand. Uh, so we enter this race, and my son in the middle there, he, he, he's, we just sent him on. We'll see the finish line, and we got the stroller and the cutest kid in the race. And uh, so we're doing this thing. And then later in the day, I get an email. The race results come in, because it's all, like, different now. They have, like, they got my DNA. And, like, <laughs> you cross the line, and then two hours later. So I get this email. Let me show you this email. Just the top part is what you're interested in. You were 105th of 105. What? So, it's funny enough, but let me just add this element to the story. We were just walking. Like, I'm the slowest walker in my age group. Like, I'd take it like... 105 of 105, and you ran your heart out. We just walked, and I'm last, right? Now, my wife, who's still 39, like, she wasn't last in her age group, so we're, we're not talking. We're mad. But 105, like, let me just tell you, I'm not trying to sound arrogant, but, like, that does, that's not familiar to me. Like, are you kidding me? And like you said, it only gets better. So next, you know, we're doing one a month, buddy. And, uh, yes, that's right. So here's the thing, like, we're going to do this again. I'm going to run again because I love it. And I remember uh, in that four-year period of just not doing anything, um, saying to myself when people would run by me on the sidewalk outside of our building, and just I would think, man, I wish I could run again. And I would say that to my wife, like, I wish I could run again. And finally she was just like, just run. Go, go run. Like, just leave the thing and leave the building and run. It's like, just run. And like, Finally, I was like, okay, so I bought some shoes, and I started running this month, and let me just tell you something. 
when you haven't run in four years, you've put on 40 pounds, nothing is familiar <laughs> about running. Are you, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like it feels different, things hurt differently, my shadow is bigger. <laughs> like when I run past people at the bus stop, like they're not thinking, it's a good runner, they're thinking, that guy's gonna die. Like <laughs> it's totally different. It's totally different. I have become so, like the whole thing about running is so distant to me. Even though it was my whole life, I spent four years not doing it, it's all brand new now. I'm rediscovering what it's like. And it's not even going to be the same. It's going to be different. But I don't even know what it feels like anymore. And I use that illustration, hopefully to shed some light on what Jesus is saying here. Bring, that, bring those couple of verses back up just so you can look at it and then hear me try to explain this. But essentially what Jesus is saying here is he's talking about what happens to our heart when we stop forgiving people. This is what happens to our heart when we stop forgiving others. It's that when we refuse to forgive and practice that, it removes us from the experience of forgiveness. And the longer we're separated from the experience of forgiveness, we begin to lose touch with what forgiveness feels like, with what it sounds like, and with what it looks like. And eventually, over time, we forget how to give it. And what Jesus is saying here that is so terrifying is that we also forget how to receive it because we don't recognize it. Let me just paraphrase what Jesus says by saying this. Refusing to forgive someone, it impacts how we receive forgiveness. Not because God isn't forgiving. That's not the point. It's because we no longer recognize what forgiveness looks like. In other words, if I don't use it, if I don't express this in my relationships, when it's coming at me, I won't recognize it. I don't remember what it feels like, looks like, or sounds like. That's the danger that we would be separated from the experience of giving and receiving Forgiveness so much so that God's forgiveness and grace no longer makes any sense to us. Like it becomes unrecognizable. And that's the warning, it's a scary warning that Jesus is giving us in this passage. That it's really more about, this is the turn here, I want you to catch this. This whole forgiveness thing between people is really more about us than them. It is mostly about us. That Jesus says to us that there is a great danger when we refuse to forgive, and it isn't about that other person. It's about us. That if we live this life of an unforgiving life, then we end up over time, you know, we kind of close up and live this life of self preservation and instinct, just survival. And it's a cell that we build around us. We become a prisoner so to speak, of our own distrust and anger. And everybody is out to get us, and we're right, and everybody's wrong. And so we end up becoming the real prisoner. Like, we may think, you may think, that by withholding forgiveness, that you're sending a message to the person who hurt you, but let me just sort of let you know that that person eventually moves on. That you think and I think that if I can just, you know, withhold forgiveness and they know I'm withholding it, then not only will they remain in my control, but we'll just keep this thing. But they move on. 
And then we're still standing there with the scorecard, like committed to the fight, committed to the match, committed to the game of who's winning. And they're gone. And so we're the ones that really become the prisoners of all of this pain. And this is what Jesus is saying, like, man, if you just live in that cell that you build around yourself of unforgiveness, like when someone passes forgiveness through the bars, like you're just not even going to recognize it. You're going to be so conditioned that you won't recognize it. And you know this, it takes so much energy and effort to withhold forgiveness. It takes more energy and effort to withhold forgiveness than it does to just forgive. Right? I mean, a lifetime of bitterness and cynicism and anger is a whole lot harder than just burning the scorecard and moving on. So forgiving others is really, ultimately, about setting myself free. Because they'll, they'll move on. They'll be okay. They'll find a counselor that tells them they can move on. That's what the counselor does. He plays your role and says, you know, you can move on. And so forgiveness becomes really about setting myself free. Like, I'm now free from having to always keep an eye on that person. Or I'm free from always having to make sure that I'm still angry. That's kind of hard, too. Like, the years go by and you still have to be angry. It's been 10 years. I still have to be, I have to maintain my anger for that person. That takes a lot of energy. Right? Or I'm free, uh, I free myself from the energy it takes to always avoid the person. That's just, that's tiring. Right? We can't go in there. Because they work there. Right? I can't walk down that, I mean, they're there. And if this person lives with you, it's really a problem. Right? You know, it's sort of funny, sad. Uh, Lewis Smeeds says, uh, you'll know that forgiveness has begun when you recall those who hurt you and you feel the power to wish them well. Now, let me just tell you how powerful that is. In between this service and the first service, a gentleman pulled me aside and said, this is what's going on in my life, and that's what I need to do, but it's very hard. And so, it's true. It's, it's a reality. This is where forgiveness starts to happen. You know, like sometimes, my, I was talking to my wife about this, and she had just, just a really wise uh, observation of what we sometimes do when we think we're forgiving. Sometimes we tell people they're forgiven or we say they're forgiven in our minds just so we can move on, but we haven't really forgiven them. Sometimes we just avoid it. But this, this truth that Lewis B. Smeeds gives us, this, look, forgiveness begins when you start to imagine that person that has hurt you and you hope that they're doing well and that you wish them well. That you like, like forget, this means that forgiveness can happen with or without a person in your life. Like this is why people can forgive dead relatives. Because it's really just about you at that point. I'm still holding on to this. I just need to let it go. Or whatever the person had done to you or that organization had done to you or that place of work had done to you. Like that you can walk away from it and wish them well. Uh, we don't hire a lot of people around here because we're a small shop. But when we talk to people about coming here and they're leaving another church, one of the things that I listen for is what do they wish upon the church they're leaving? 
Is it nothing but negative and they hope they close their doors? Or is it it's a wonderful place? These are the things I've learned and I think they're going to be much better without me. There's a different, you see the difference? I mean, if you're, if, you're, uh, if you're hiring somebody in your business and someone comes to you and says, I'm so happy to work for you because my last place, and then here comes the stuff, that's going to happen to you too. That's going to happen to your place too. And so it's this, like we, we just don't know how to let people go and we don't know how to wish them well. And so this truth that we're reading on the screen is very powerful. Sorry, I've embellished a little bit, like just sitting there for a moment, routing that out. But that's, that's the demarcation line between I'm just sort of getting through life and I've forgiven people. They can go free and I hope they do well. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now this is a text not originally written for marriages and weddings, but it's a text describing the love of God. And it's there so that we would do our best with his help and his grace to emulate that in our relationships. That when we're talking about love, and the word here for this, this love is the word agape, this sort of unconditional, incredible, and indescribable love, uh, when we're talking about that kind of love between us, this is a picture for us to look at and say, all right, is this the kind of love that's happening in my relationships? Now, in terms of forgiving people when someone's hurt you, let me just reword this passage for you, and I'll just read uh, a different translation. This is just one that I came up with to help you out uh, in terms of sliding this into the, uh, the, the topic of forgiving people when they've hurt us. So watch how love works in that situation. I'll just reframe this for you. Essentially what Paul is saying is, I am patient with people and their failings. I remain kind in the face of conflict. I'm not arrogant when I'm right and you're wrong. Because sometimes you're right. But this is saying, I'm not arrogant when I'm aware that I'm right and you're wrong. I don't insist on winning this fight. That's not, that's not my point. I don't want to win this. I say often, if I'm in an argument, look, I want to be wrong. I say that. I want to be, when I sense that sort of like, they're going to punch me, like, listen, I'm telling you, I want to be wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong. Another one, I will not keep score between you and me, like this, that whole resentful, like I'm just carrying this around. I'm not going to keep score. I will not be glad when you fail. This is what, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Like, we love it when people fall and spill their tray on the cafeteria floor. Like, everybody laughs and points. And then we just carry that into adulthood. And when people fail around us, especially if they hurt us, we love that. But this text is saying, I'm not going to be glad when that happens. I'm not going to cheer when you fail. I will carry as much weight as I can. I will believe that peace and change are possible. I will hope for the best for you. And I will remain faithful in all of this. This is a nice rubric of forgiveness, like this, run it through this grid of this small passage in the Corinthian letters. And Paul says, this is what love looks like. And then you retranslate that into your relationships. 
Anne Lamott says this, you can either practice being right or practice being kind. Now you, in your head, you determine which one takes more energy over time. You can practice being right, winning, and coming out on top, or you can just be kind. And then backing that up into what we've learned today, that forgiveness is essentially not just letting people go free, but setting yourself free so that you're not closing the door on receiving forgiveness. Because you will. You will shut it down. And when people talk about grace, when people talk about mercy, when people talk about forgiveness, you will shrug your shoulders and say, that's just crap. Because it no longer means anything to you. Because you're not giving it. You're not experiencing it. So those words of Jesus are very terrifying and true that if we close the door we're not going to recognize it and as a church family as I said at the beginning and I'll close with this if we're committed to seeing God's kingdom come in this city as it is in heaven we got to master this because nobody cares what we're singing in here nobody cares what I'm saying but they're going to care about how you treat them as neighbors as co-workers, as people who work for you or alongside you on your team. That's what matters. And when we pray this prayer that God's kingdom come here today as it is in heaven, this is one of the things that we have to master. That this church and every church in this city would become experts at forgiveness. Of forgiving and wishing well those who have caused us pain. Amen? It's a challenge. It's a lifelong. You're not going to walk out of here going, sweet, I got it. Check. Everybody's cool. Like, that's not going to happen. But I will be here and we'll all be here to remind us that that's how we should be living. I'm going to pray and then Lindsay's going to guide us into communion today and then we'll sing a couple songs on the way out. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this day and thank you for, uh, as we talk about forgiveness, it's... uh, it's, we, we just remember your forgiveness. We remember your grace and mercy and this communion that we'll participate in, the bread and the juice, the symbols of your life and death and your commitment to us. Um, God, we can't escape it. We're not going to leave here today without being reminded that you love us so much. And as Paul said in one of his letters to the Corinthians in our Bible, just that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Like this picture of you didn't wait for us to get better, you didn't wait for us to improve, you didn't wait for us to say we were sorry. That you just went first. You always go first. You always forgive. Your grace always wins. And so God, teach us to be submissive to that. Teach us to be not just thankful for that, but give us the courage and the the strength to share that with others. And God, the best message we can give uh, neighbors and friends and even those who have hurt us is that this message of your grace, that we can just set people free and ultimately set ourselves free from having to walk around holding on to old stories and keep looking at old scars. And so God, I just pray for those in the room today that just need needed to hear that today, that they can leave here today just lighter, 
for your and ready to receive what they probably have a hard time recognizing, which is that you love them no matter what. Thank you for this day again. Thank you for this series that we've been in just to learn about what this is like and the importance of love and forgiveness in our relationships. Guys, we take the communion just now. Uh, just move through the room in a spirit of peace and joy. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen.